morning again, church. It's uh, good to have you uh, with us. Uh, and can I just be honest and say that it is a privilege that you're you're choosing to tune in time and time again. It's been a long time since we've been in the church building, and and for you to support uh, this side of things, it's mean, means a lot. Our our church works because it's it's a family. People come because it's a family and that connection that there is between people. And online, we're not really able to, to feel like a family. And yet you tune in when it's just me, uh, which is the least best part of church. And so I'm thankful for you for that. Although this morning, we do have Ben going to do the kids talk for us. As elders, we're trying to dissect all the various bits of information coming out. We're planning to meet again on Tuesday as elders and deacons to plot our, our pathway back as a church and to think what a timescale might look like and, and all the rest that will come into play with that. And as keen as many of you are to get back on site, please understand that we need to be considerate to those most at risk in our church. And there are many and those who have young children and all the different variations of risk that there is. We understand that there will be some who are frustrated by how slow some things are going right now. Understand that we also know that there are many frustrated by how fast things are going. And in conclusion, it's going to be impossible to please everyone. And so look, our goal is not to have some sort of token service. We want to proclaim Christ and to feed your hearts, to feed your souls, to feed your families spiritually. And so we will seek to do that as best as we can and that's really the most important thing how can we do it as best as we can we want to be a blessing to you and i know it's been what 14 15 weeks now since we've been in church and yet i'll confess that my life has been so busy with the wife and kids that this time's flown in for me and i appreciate that that isn't the scenario for everyone but it is kind of scary that we're here at the end of June already. In our house, we uh, have a full range when it comes to church <laughs> at home. Um, Ruth will probably be singing at the top of her voice. She'll just start playing some music as she's, as she's making herself some breakfast. And she just kind of doesn't lose that. She kind of starts singing away. Full concert mode. No one else is there, but she's full concert mode. Um one of my daughters will be uh, a thinker and so she'll watch and observe and uh, just take it all in and the other one will be probably brushing Barbie's hair as she bobs her head along to the, the songs and at one point probably the oven will start beeping or the phone will go church at home if we're being honest hasn't always been a smooth experience for us it's not always felt like it's been easy to be feel connected uh, and so look we have our, our service here we have songs as I said then we'll be doing the children's talk do this come with this heart just magnify the Lord just magnify him with me this morning magnify his goodness magnify his graciousness say bless the Lord Oh, my soul. And so let's just do that. Let, let's pray for our service this morning. Lord, wherever people are this morning listening to this, 
whether it's 11 a.m. Sunday morning and they are one of the first views on this video or whether it's attempt number four and it's Wednesday night or next Wednesday night. Lord, may your spirit grab hold of ours. May it captivate our attention. Lord, may this time be one that is spent in your presence. However that may look and however unchurchy it feels like, Lord, all we need is for you to speak in this moment, to draw near. For Lord, we know that in your presence there is fullness of joy. And so Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Now, some uh, musicians have made their worship material uh, free to stream online. And I'll have some information in, in the uh, description below. Uh, but we're going to uh, have some music now and then Ben will do the children's talk. All right, folks, God bless. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Thank you. 
guys i'm doing the kids talk for this week i hope you're all well and, and all safe and en enjoying the sun i am very badly sunburnt so i hope you're all wiser than me and have all the sun cream on i'm gonna look at, at a passage from exodus today um god has just guided his people out of egypt they've just crossed the red sea and god has done all these amir amazing miracles but there's an issue still the people are still going to complain. I mean, don't you hate it when you're trying your best and you do all this stuff and you've, I mean, you've just saw God open the sea in front of you. I mean, imagine if God just went at the sea. How amazing is that? But the people of Israel are still complaining and they complain to Moses that they're hungry. They don't trust that God's going to provide and they complain that they're hungry, that they haven't eaten. And they say, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed as slaves, blah, blah, blah. So they go to Moses and they say, why is God not providing us with bread? Why is God doing this? And, and they ask us. They ask him all these questions and complain against the Lord. But uh, Moses comes up with a simple answer. He says, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and then in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are against us. Are not against us, but against the Lord. Moses tells them, God always provides. He will give us uh, bread and he will give us meat and he will always provide for us. But the people still were complaining. They knew that God would provide and they knew that God had taken them out of Egypt and had provided for them that whole way and he would go on to provide them until they reached the promised land and after. But they still had the, the audacity to complain and Moses Moses tells them off for it. So I have two lessons from that. First one, don't complain. No one likes complaining. The people here complained not only against Moses, but against God. Try not to complain. I don't like listening to complaints, but I suppose neither does anybody. So let's try not to complain. And then my second lesson is it's that God always provides, so we can always trust that God will look after us because he loves us and he always provides for us. So that's me done for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.
Jesus said, if I am weak, I should come to Him. No one else can be my strength, I should come to Him. For the Lord is good and faithful, He will keep us day. about a Christian man who became so concerned about the end times just before the lockdown that uh, he decided to make all the money that he could by uh, just before the economy collapsed. So he took his entire savings out of the bank, went to the racetrack and prayed for wisdom on how to bet. And he watched the first race without betting, but he noticed that a Catholic priest came out, sprinkled some water, waved his arms, made some signs over the horse, and the horse won by seven lengths miles. 
The same thing happened on the second, third and fourth race. And so the man waited one more race just to make sure. And sure enough, the same thing. The horse that the priest blessed won. So in the sixth race, he waited until the priest did his thing, ran off, placed his entire savings on that horse. The race began. The horse ran 50 feet, dropped dead. The man was horrified. He ran down to the priest and said, Father, I have to talk to you. Yes, what is it, son? Priest, I, I watched you bless that winning horse before each race, and I went and bet everything I had on this horse. What happened? The priest looked down and goes, you must be a Protestant. He says, how did you know that? He says, because you don't know the difference between a blessing and the last rites. This morning in our series, here's the premise. When people see our lives, does it look like your life is blessed? Or do they look at you and think, okay, I'm going to back this guy. Everything that I have, I'm putting it on this guy. I'm going to trust his message. There's power in the blessing that he has in his life. Or do they look at you and see someone who's living under a cloud and think, that boy's got the last rites written all over him. He's just waiting for death. There's, there's nothing there that I want. You see, as we come to the last few messages in our series on knowing the will of God for our lives, one of the things that comes out through scripture is that God wants us to sing. He, we are blessed and he wants us to show it. So sing. Let's turn to our passage this morning, Psalm 103. We'll read it uh, in parts as we go along. Uh, and it's poetically written with themes flowing and overlapping. We'll not go through it verse by verse, but we'll try and pull out a major theme. But that might mean just jumping around a wee bit, but it'll be worth it. I promise it if we kind of just stick with it. For those who appreciate literature, this psalm, like many others and many books of the Bible, it has a chiastic structure, which sounds boring because it is kind of boring a wee bit, but it really helps us appreciate what's happening, okay? So instead of a Western style where we kind of start at one point and then we kind of just build up to the crescendo at the end, here what happens is David starts with a premise and he builds it up to the middle and that's where it crescendos and then it kind of comes down on a mirror image. So it's almost symmetrical, the psalm. So Psalm 103, he, he begins, uh, he starts with the, the premise of the first two verses matching the last two. And so let, let, let's read it together. He says in verse one, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now let's look at the last two verses. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so here we have the bookends at the either end of the psalm. What's the major cry from David? Bless the Lord. You who want to do his will, bless him. And what's the pinnacle? What's the central reason right in the middle of the psalm? What's the crescendo? Why should we sing? Why should we bless him? Verses 10 and 11. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. So what does God expect? From a saved, spirit-controlled, sanctified, submitted, satisfied believer, singing. Psalm 103 has got to be one of the most beautiful psalms that David wrote. 
And people will have questions as to whether this is a private call for to himself to pray or whether he, he's calling other people to praise God. I'm inclined to say it's both. Uh, it begins with this private call. But when our very souls are responding to the goodness of God, it can't be contained. And it, by definition, invites others to join in the singing of the goodness of God. So the message really this morning is about how a deep appreciation of God invites others in. This is one of the key ways for impacting people for Christ. It's reason, uh, the psalm is reason after reason after reason to sing. And David says, I want to express my joy for what he has done. And so should you join me. Bless the Lord. And David points us in each in each reason to Christ and calls us to sing. A thousand years before Christ stepped into our reality in Bethlehem, David is pointing us to him. And so let me just break it down. Uh, let's take the first five verses or verses two to five. If you're taking notes, just put a ring around those verses and say, this is the reason to sing. God wants us to be people who sing, to who have his praises continually on our lips. So here this psalm lays out some precious truths for us to hold on to. Even if circumstances are tough, these truths will endure. So we always have a reason to sing. Verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Sing. <laughs> Why? Verse two, he's a God who forgives. Murder, adultery, lies, like whatever it is that's in your past, whatever skeletons, whatever scars you have, you can be forgiven. You can be accepted and adopted into his family. How can you be forgiven? Is it just kind of uh, this freely thing? There's no cost attached to it. There's no effort involved. No, it's, it's not that easy. Grace is freely given. But it was not obtained cheaply. Isaiah 53 tells us how the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. There was a cost, there was a price to pay. And so David and Isaiah, centuries before Christ, are pointing to him dying and proclaiming that there is a reason to sing. He is the reason to sing. Our only hope is in Christ, which means whosoever can call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He paid the price so that we can freely receive that grace. Sing. Why? Verse 3. He heals our diseases. Oh, now, hold on, Jeff. You're not going to be one of these preachers now who's suddenly going to say something daft like, oh, he's going to heal everything, all your diseases. Well, actually, yes, because that's the exact wording of the verse. He heals all your diseases, even the last one, especially the last one. How? Because of Christ. The last disease is death and it is conquered through Christ in eternity. When Christ died, he went to the grave and killed death. And for those who are in Christ, we have everlasting life. This body will fade away. This is temporary. But we are heading for some for somewhere infinitely more glorious and permanent. Which means that death can't hold me. And we shall know victory over the grave because of Jesus he doesn't claim to mean that you'll never get sick. He claims that no matter what this life throws at you, eternity is winning. You will overcome. So sing. Why? 
verse 4. He redeems our life from the pit. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that when you're saved, you'll have a brilliant life and everything's going to be this upward curve and everything's going to be easy? You're not in the pit anymore. Your life's on the up and up. Because out of context, you can maybe come away with that meaning. You could take these verses out of context and say, okay, hold on. Psalm 103 says Christians don't get sick and we should be wealthy and we should be prosperous and we should claim that. But that's not the case. He's pointing us to Christ again. Listen to the book of Acts describe David's experience. Acts 13, verse 36. says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. He died. And was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Okay, so David experienced the pit. He experienced the grave. But because of his faith in the coming Christ, that he would rescue and save and he would pay the price, David went into the grave and knew corruption. But listen to the next verse, Acts 13, 37. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. See, our life might be marked with hardship, sickness, and we all will die. We will all go into the pit, but he will redeem our life from the pit. He will lift us back up. When we come out of the pit, we will be crowned, crowned with steadfast love and mercy. Let's just focus on the idea of being crowned, because that connotes royalty. God has been really good to our church throughout this lockdown and kept uh, all, all our key workers and NH NHS staff and, and delivery men and care home workers, all, all this, the essential staff, he has kept them safe throughout. And praise God for that. But I'm conscious of the fact though that some of you, many of you have still had to attend funerals or watch them being streamed live. Some were neighbours, others were family members. And as you watch the coffin being carried away and lowered into the ground, Maybe that doesn't look very royal to you, but it is. Ephesians 2 gives us the reason. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Christian, you can sing this morning. Why? Hi, I mean, if this lockdown is hard, I have questions about job security, the economy, what, what is school's going to look like in a few months? Listen, you can sing. You have a God who through the work of Christ has forgiven your sin, has healed the greatest disease that you will have to face, death. And he will lift you out of that pit and crown you and seat you with himself in heavenly places. Royalty. Those loved ones we have said goodbye to are princes and princesses in glory with new bodies, no more suffering, no more worry, no more tears, and they are seated with him, crowned. This is the work of Christ. So sing. Why? Verse 5, he satisfies you. Here David means that no matter how old we get, no matter how many aches and pains and niggles that you collect them, I've noticed that I've started to make noises when I get up from the sofa. It, it, it's not good. It's weird because it kind of started as a joke, but now I can't actually stop. I think it's part of who I am now. Um, so it's a bit of a disaster. But no matter the aches and the pains and the sounds that we make as we sit down or stand up, we have a spiritual vitality that never fades away. Remember Caleb and Joshua 14, who at age 85 said to Joshua, I have the same strength I had whenever I was fighting these guys at 40. 
I'm going to go and claim the land that the Lord has promised. And you know what? It's exactly what he went and did. At 85 years old. You see, as believers, we don't peak in our mid-40s. And then it all just starts to go downhill. We retire and we just back out of everything in the church. Rather, those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Romans 8.23 tells us, But we ourselves who have first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, no matter how hard this world is, how hard this life is, we can sing because in Christ the work is not yet finished and we are eagerly awaiting that time when his work is completed when sin is gone and pain is gone and disease is gone and my body is lifted from the pit and I am crowned and the closer we get to the end of our life the more exciting it should be and the more life spiritually we feel and even in the storms we have a reason to sing so bless the Lord oh my soul forget not all his benefits and the truth of it is, I, I'm doing this whole psalm in one message. I could probably do 20 messages in this psalm. Just go through reason by reason, verse by verse, and just take a wider approach to all the different layers as to why it should be a blessing to us and why we should sing. But let me just finish by going to the benefits of singing, uh, to the benefits of singing about blessings, to the blessings of singing. I know some of you listening are not singers. I've stood beside you in church. I've stood in front of you in church. You know, and I know, it's not your gift. That's okay. But I do believe that bad singers actually make the best spouses, okay? I dated a great singer once in school, but you know, she was all me, 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 me. Sorry, bad joke. <laughs> I know some of you can't sing. I know some of you don't sing. Can I spend the last few moments of our time together going through the reasons why you should sing? Now remember, we are to sing as a response to the greatness of God and the goodness of his salvation. But in doing so, we're inviting others to join in blessing him as well. Because this is going to lead us to a place where not only we want to bless the Lord from the very depths of who we are in our souls, but we also know how to do that. Let's start in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, I know it's been a week since Father's Day. The chocolate has been eaten. The fry is gone. Everyone has moved on. But as I was looking at this during the week, I find it really interesting why David, from going talking about the great eternal nature of God, we'd, we'd start talking about the finiteness of, of a human father. What David, I think, is doing here is bringing it down to a picture for us, okay? So it's not this idea that God looks at a human father and goes, ah, that would be a really good way for me to connect with those people. No, God the Father existed long before creation did. But the idea is that whenever you see a good father in action, whether it's at home, whether it's at the park or where, you see a picture of God. Good fathers point to God. And that's a huge calling in life. As a father, my calling is to point people to the father by how I raise my children. We learn how to be a father from God's fatherhood. 
how to raise our children by how he treats his children. And our children will learn about God the Father by how we act as a father. And so we point our children, our wives, our neighbours our God, to God daily in a thousand little pictures. But we know that we only have a limited window to do that. In verses 14 and 15 of the psalm, we read about how we are dust and the days are like grass. And I mean, in Israel, when those warm desert winds hit, those little flowers that have started to bloom, they can wither, just go in the space of a couple of hours. Next day, they're gone. And the Bible says, look, we have this short, small window to make an impact as a father, as a parent, a small window of influence. So how can we make sure that our children will forever experience the goodness and love of the Heavenly Father in their lives? If we only have this small window to make an impact, what about our children? What about our children's children? Verses 17 and 18 gives us three reasons. Let's, let's read the verses. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. So in other words, as human fathers, we've got limited love. But contrast that to the everlasting God. And this eternal love goes on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. So a godly father has to ask this question. If the greatest call in my life is to point people to God, then how can my children know the love of God forever and the righteousness of God, which will either save them or condemn them? And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about myself as a father with my two girls, uh, uh, Sophie and Bethany, about the baby that my wife is carrying right now. How can they all experience God as he desires to be experienced? forever not just experienced for a season or in little bursts but consistently forever and always if i want to be the kind of person who rejoices in what has god has done in me how do you invite them to come alongside and join me in that and blessing the lord with all my soul well first let me show you this i need to let them know that they have to keep his covenant verse 18 they have to keep his covenant what covenant is that well there's been there's lots of covenants in the Bible and there's a lot of things that have changed maybe in 2000 years since Jesus. But at the Last Supper in Luke 22, Jesus said this, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is that Jesus, long expected by David and Isaiah and all those other guys, has now come. And how we relate to the Messiah is through the blood, because now there can be forgiveness of sin. The covenant is the blood-bought redemption of our sins. And so if you want to keep covenant with God, it means that you are doing your part of the deal, which is looking to that sacrifice of Christ as the atonement for your sins, and that you come to God, not in your own merit, not in your own terms, not in your own righteousness, but you come uh, to him humbly in repentance and that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Saviour. As a father, as a leader of your house, make sure your children grow up to know the gospel. For if they are to know the Heavenly Father, they are to keep that covenant, which means receiving Christ as Saviour and Lord. The second one, it's a wee bit of our order, but go back to verse 17. We're to teach them to fear the Lord to fear the Lord. 
The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. It's straightforward. That's that's the condition. Now, in fact, it's actually an idea that recurs throughout this psalm. Now, I had to rewrite a lot of this because I was going deep on it. There's so much to talk about the fear of the Lord, but suffice to say this. We are to teach our children that we don't play church. We don't make it seem small. Ach, let's just have a lie in today. Let, let, I'm going to go get a head start on stuff for work tomorrow. Listen, you've got homework to do. Right, well, listen, we don't have to go to church. And if you've got homework to do, listen, if that had been the rule in my house growing up, my dad's watching us, he'll, he'll tell you. I'd have only ever done my homework on a Sunday then. Because oh, that would have been a double win for me, all right? Suddenly it frees up my Fridays and Saturdays. I can play football. I can play my rugby matches. And then if I just keep the stuff over to Sunday, I get to Dodge Church as well. Listen, 14-year-old me, that would have been the plan. No, we don't treat this casually. We are to show by our lives and our actions that the word of God, the worship of God, the people of God, this is special and it's an honour and privilege and it must be respected. Not because the preacher's any good, because he's not. But the word that he holds out is sacred. And it's not because the worship band are going to play all your favourite songs perfectly every single time. It's because they point you to him. We don't play games with God. We are to fear him. And by the way, I really recommend a book on that. It's called Yawning at Tigers by Drew Dyke. Really, really fascinating read. But the third thing that we are to teach our children is to obey him. Again, I could go a long way on this, uh, but it's a central requirement of the text. Verse 17 says, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. See, it's central because it's the fruit that is produced that proves the tree is alive. We want this for our children, right? We want this for our grandchildren, for all the children who come through the doors of the church. We want this, right? Fathers, teach your children more than just head knowledge. Teach them not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. This is a central requirement of a covenant-keeping child of God. It proves the faith is real. It's the fruit that proves the tree is alive. Fathers, grandfathers, stepfathers, father figures. We want this for our children, right? Because if they are not covenant-keeping, God-fearing, obedient children, then they will cease to experience the love of God. What does that mean? It means hell. Hell is ceasing to experience the love and the presence and the goodness of God. This is why families exist. This is why fathers are so important. We are called to do the impossible and point our children and our spouse to the heavenly father by being godly fathers. So how do we do the impossible? What's the one thing fathers should be doing to be the biggest blessing to their wives and their children and their church and their neighborhood? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Psalm 34 starts by declaring, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Emphasis on mouth. 
it should be audible it should be heard so the call here is to bless the lord and i think simply that means be always speaking well of the lord's goodness and greatness this psalm psalm 103 is david's rallying call to himself as a father and then to all the other fathers who hear him bless the lord O my soul and yes I understand the information. Yes, my lips are working and we're kind of singing through and I'm going through the motions. But come on, soul, join me in this. Don't make me a hypocrite here. Come on, soul, from the depths of who I am, respond for the love of goodness. Respond to the goodness and greatness of God for the sake of my children. Bless him. Jesus mentioned this. He referenced Isaiah in Matthew 15 when he said, The people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And David's prayer and my prayer here is, Heart, soul, join in. Join me in blessing and speaking well of him and speaking of his goodness and greatness. Don't make me be a hypocrite by staying silent. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Listen, hypocritical fathers will destroy their children. Fathers who praise from their soul will save their children. Let's read the last couple of verses together. Let's pick up verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places in his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Nothing you do for your children will be more effective in reaching them with the gospel than blessing God in their presence. And yet it's so rare for fathers to do this. Fathers who speak it, who live it, who rejoice openly in it. It should be the norm for children growing up in a Christian home. Seeing their fathers openly sing and laugh and cry over the goodness of the Heavenly Father. And this psalm gives us three topics in particular that will, with God's help, bring your children to a covenant-keeping, commandment-keeping, fearful walk with God. Number one, speak of his sovereignty, verse 19. Let, him, let them hear you talk of how God is in control. That when their exam results go well or go badly, when your car breaks down, when the electric goes, each and every conversation, let them sense that throughout all you trust in your heavenly Father that no matter what, he's bigger than it all. And that you, you trust him to work all things together for your good and for his glory. That you don't have all the answers, but you know the one who does. Number two, justice, verse six. Now this maybe comes into its own, especially when you've got teenagers, especially whenever we've got the kind of political and the social climate that we have right now. Teach them God's passion for justice, for the widows, for the oppressed, for the unborn child. God doesn't only care about rich white men who have all their ducks in a row. He doesn't just care about religious people who are ticking all the boxes. But his heart is for the outsider, for the unborn, for the ones who don't have a voice. And don't just teach it. Sing it. Let it seize their hearts, not just their minds. Listen, if... 
if they see that God hasn't got your heart, there's no way on earth they'll be convinced to give him theirs. So let them hear you reflect on the news and dealing with issues with a godly heart at the breakfast table, at devotion time, at dinner time, whenever it is, whenever you are together. Let them see the heart of the Heavenly Father in their own Father that they might have a picture of who God is. And number three, it's all over the psalm, but let them see mercy and forgiveness. That's really at the heart of this psalm. Let your children see that you are a sinner saved by and leaning on grace. We are obsessed as a society and so fearful of appearing anything less than perfect. Normally because social media has people criticizing every little minute detail. You can't do anything right anymore. But we see it even on social media. Someone has their child playing three instruments and speaking Mandarin and Braille and sign language. And it's like... How on earth are they doing that and gymnastics and swimming and horse riding? And we feel this pressure every single time because we know our reality is where we're losing our temper and we get it wrong and we make mistakes. And we act like this is the worst thing in the world. But listen to me. This is a glorious reality. It, we're not perfect. We are forgiven. We are sinners saved by grace. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Let your children see that. Let them see your brokenness, that you don't get it right all the time and how that hurts. Don't be defensive, but embrace it and own it and repent in front of them. Let them see you're rejoicing at sin forgiven. Let them see that you rejoice in forgiving them. Let them see that forgiven people forgive. Let them see the power of repentance and action, that you seek forgiveness and will also readily forgive. Do that for your children. And rather than imperfection being something that has to be hidden away and, and you kind of steamroll over them then if they call you out on it, which they will. Actually, your imperfection is your greatest joy because Jesus Christ has saved you and forgiven you and you have mercy and you have grace. And that's exactly what you want to model for them. You know, my biggest fear so my children grow up to see my faith as just rules and regulations. That being a pastor is a job that just takes them away from it. I've had it all this week from them. Where it's like, Daddy, why do you always have to go into work? Why can't you just play with us? Why can't you spend more time playing with us? And it breaks my heart. But oh, that they could grow to see my faith, our faith in terms of tearful rejoicing. That our faith is Christ in us, our hope of glory. And we are just overwhelmed by the joy of it. That they might say, I want that. What a gift that would be for our children. And yes, do the Sunday school thing at home. Get get on to the uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship, the CEF website, with all the free material. Go through the worksheets. that We've been doing that as part of our Sunday morning church routine. It's been brilliant. Teach them Ten Commandments. Teach them the Catechisms. But let all of that be done to the soundtrack of you blessing the Lord in front of them. And so adults, grandparents, teachers, join me. Bless the Lord. 
Come on, soul, you too. Bless all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done in us. Lord, may it motivate us, may it radiate out of us and how we interact with our neighbours, with our children, with our grandchildren, with our nieces and nephews. Lord, whoever comes into our path, Lord, may they see the Heavenly Father in us. Lord, may it bless them. May it provoke them to you, Lord. May it provoke them to worship. May it provoke them to repentance. May it provoke them to a closer walk with you, Lord. May Christ see, be seen in us as we seek to model you. And so, Lord, may we be filled with singing. May we be filled with rejoicing. May your praise be continually in our mouths, Lord. And this we ask in your precious name. Amen.
float